Hi, welcome to the official podcast of the WCD. That's the World Congress of Dermatology, which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. I am Dr. Etienne Wang from the National Skin Center of Singapore, and I will be your host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. In this podcast, I speak with dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And today, Ellie is back with another very interesting topic to discuss. Ellie, what do you have for us today? So, the last episode, I heard that Sashin talked about vision and the importance of visual equity. So I thought this week we could go along the same thread and talk about the sense of smell in dermatology. Wow, okay. So the sense of smell is quite topical nowadays. I mean, a lot of people who get COVID lose their sense of smell, right? And apparently dogs have been able to pick up COVID from smell too. What in dermatology do you think smells different or distinct? Yeah, so I think, you know, when we think about what smells in dermatology, immediately things like chronic wounds or maybe body odour that may be related to hyperhidrosis or infections of the skin uh, that are associated with abnormal smells or odours. But if we take a step back and think about what actually is it common in these conditions that lead to the smell, it's actually most commonly um, secondary infections by bacteria or fungus. And what happens is that microorganisms, especially anaerobes, they break down substrates like carbohydrates, lipids, and amino acids. And in the process, they produce an array of volatile chemical molecules. So it's these molecules like um, thiols, hydrogen sulfide, and putrescine that enters our nose and then results in the various forms of odors. And bacterial infections or fungal infections, they can be like primary like abscesses, carbuncles, or in chronic wounds, um, like chronic lymphedema, elephantiasis, or even things like pitted keratolysis with carinae bacteria. And um, it's also interesting to note that infections can occur secondarily in disorders like keratinization and acantholytic diseases. So your ichthyosis, epidermolytic uh, PPKs or PPKs, and haley-haley and Darius disease. So it's all these um, accumulation of macerated scales that uh, allow the bacteria to proliferate and then release these hydrocarbons. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that um, that all these polyamines and volatile organic compounds, they have they might give us a certain kind of uh, signature to certain diseases. And this might be, on top of that, might be uh, modulated by the microbiome. Do you think human noses can tell the difference between these things? I'm, I, I, that's a very good question. I am not particularly convinced that we have the ability to discern the scent of various odors, but it could also be because we're not trained to do so. Certainly, in the literature, um, certain types of bacteria releases certain types of uh, compounds that smell a bit different from other compounds, and has been reported that, you know, like for example, Pseudomonas has a particular like grape-like scent. But as to whether it would be discriminatory enough for us to use in clinical practice, that I'm not really sure. Well, I think that's where AI and our manufactured sensors might come in, right? Do you think there could be a time when we would just, um, you know, wave something over a patient and be able to tell what kind of bacteria is living on the skin, the state of the microbiome and the state of inflammation just from the volatile compounds that are being released? Something like a, like a robot nose. <laughs> Actually, that's a very good point. I wasn't thinking about that. I didn't think about that. But I think you're right. You know, by right, all these sensors should be able to detect these volatile compounds. And I do believe the technology should be advanced enough to differentiate one from another. Yeah, I think to draw back the analogy to the visual thing that Shashim was talking about last time, we use things like the woods lamp and UV light to look at things that our human eyes can't see. So maybe a device to pick up these kinds of scents that we can't detect ourselves might be able to help us make some interesting diagnoses in the future. 
Yeah, correct. And apart from just diagnosing, I think knowing what organism is proliferating may also help us better target treatment um, because a lot of these you know, secondary bacterial infections and odors can be quite troublesome to patients and can be quite distressing. So if we know what exactly is being released, it might help us to better reduce the odor that's associated. Yeah, or we could just get a dog to do it. <laughs> yeah, we could too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, thank you. That's some food for thought. And I like it when you bring us something way out of left field. And I think that was a very interesting discussion. Thank you, Ali. No problems. Thank you very much, Etienne. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> And now let's welcome Dede Morel to the podcast. She's the chair of the Department of Dermatology at the St. George Hospital, University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, and her main subspecialty interest and her current research focuses on the development and validation of clinical outcomes for EB and autoimmune blistering diseases. She's also one of our esteemed ambassadors for the WCD 2023. She is also the Executive Vice President of the International Society of Dermatology from 2011-2013 and the Chair of Communications for the ISD from 2013 to 2017, and she will be the Congress President of the upcoming ICD 2021, which will be held in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Dede, to the podcast. Thank you, Etienne. I'm very excited to join the esteemed list of ambassadors and speakers at your conference and participants uh, who will want to welcome everybody to the next World Congress of Dermatology in Singapore 2023. Yes, but I think in a few weeks' time, we're having the ICD. How are preparations for that coming along? The preparations have been in the making now for eight years after we bid for the conference in Delhi in 2013. We have John McGraw at the helm of our scientific committee and Rod Sinclair is my right-hand man and Greg Goodman in charge of cosmetic sessions. So how could we go wrong? Are there any highlights of the conference that you'd like to promote this time? Yes, we have four different themes for the conference. Uh, one of them is translational medicine, which is John's forte, as you know. Uh, bringing bench to bedside of what is relevant. We have global dermatology, which is looking at the burden of diseases throughout the world, including the more uh, poverty-stricken areas of the world, uh, problems that refugees suffer from. Then we have medical dermatology, uh, that's my forte. And then we have um, technological advances and, you know, all the brand spanking new uh, um, IT developments, particularly for visuals, for melanoma, etc. Uh, so it's something for everyone. You're also very interested in the interchange of dermatology across countries. Can you tell me a bit about more of this passion of yours? My passion for international exchange began very young. I was fortunate to grow up in a family in England who loved to travel. And so my parents took me all around Europe um, in the summer holidays when I was in a gap year situation before I went to Cambridge, I got a scholarship to the United States. And then I managed to um, engineer some electives. Uh, in one was at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston in Harvard Medical School. And so by having the opportunity to then train as a dermatologist um, in the United States, gave me a great insight in how healthcare is organized in another country. And since then, since qualifying, I've made a point of trying to um, visit different colleagues, such as your wonderful Singapore Skin Center, uh, places of work when I've gone to either holidays or conferences in other places. I think that we have something to learn from everywhere that we go and places that I've been to that I would never have 
thought of in advance that I would learn so much. For example, Iran. Um, when I visited uh, hospitals in Tehran, in Razi Hospital, it's a huge skin hospital run by dermatologists where the surgeons are working for the dermatologists. Or the hospital at Shiraz, uh, the university hospital there, where I was astonished to find the notes were being written in English and that Pemphigus patients uh, who were two a penny in the ward there, I was very impressed by how they insisted that the patients had uh, sterile gowns put on every day and they had to have showers and their skin was covered in eosin, an old-fashioned compound that keeps your skin free from infection. Just basic things that you could learn from going to another country, which were very useful. Yeah, in Singapore also, for our dermatologists, until COVID, we all had overseas attachments and experiences that we are encouraged to apply for. But I think in the last couple of years, that has been uh, curtailed. Put on hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're also involved in the International Journal of Women's Dermatology. Is that something that's also also shares a theme with your passion for um, helping people from disadvantaged groups and countries? Yes, I'm one of the co-founding editors of the IJWD along with Jane Grant Kells, who's now the deputy editor of the JAD, and our new co-editor is Jenny Marassi for the last three years from California. And you're absolutely right. Um, we had an agreement with the publisher Elsevier that people who were submitting articles, because it's one of these new open access journals, peer-reviewed, um, but unfortunately, with that model, um, people have to pay once their peer review has been accepted. And um, there is funding for that in some countries, particularly in Europe, not so much in Australia and the United States. So um, obviously, from poorer countries, we were keen to hear from them. But there were um, waivers from uh, some countries, Africa, for example, India, Iran, and so we had quite a lot of submissions from these countries on the topics that we were interested in. It has encouraged publications from these places. That's very, very encouraging. And um, you alluded to this earlier, but you were our HMDP visiting expert in 2018 to Singapore. What memories do you have of uh, our little red dot country here? I loved coming to Singapore, apart from the fact that I think I surprised you in one of my lectures that um, I had purchased my wedding dress in <laughs> <Yes>. Orchard Road <laughs> in Singapore. So that was quite entertaining for everybody to see that. I heard so much about the NSC from all the trainees from Australia, who are one of them every six months has the opportunity to come and train with you. Yes, we miss them very much. <laughs> yes. And when I was given my temporary office, I think on the fourth floor of your building, and it said Kenji Kabashina on the door. That that impressed me a lot because I know Kenji and he's uh, been coming to your center for quite some time. Yes, he has. Yeah, so, <laughs> and, and I loved visiting all the subspecialty clinics. Um, I loved uh, interchanging with the residents. Uh, I was there, I think, during your exams and took part in the exams as well. And everyone was so friendly and invited me to the other hospitals in Singapore. And of course, the standard is very, very high in Singapore. So I, apart from everyone's welcoming nature, it was, um, it was a very memorable week to spend with you all. Oh, yes. And we hope to see you again soon in 2023. Yes, this is what I've been saying. Um, we were very much hoping that we could welcome all our international colleagues to our conference in about 30 days' time in Melbourne. But Australia's had a huge lockdown to protect its population from COVID. 
And regrettably, the conference had to be virtual, but thanks to our enterprise, we've got this unique TV-style Dermathon 24 hours a day meeting so that you won't turn on from the United States or Europe or wherever you happen to be and find a blank screen. There'll always be something there on two channels to entertain you. And we are proposing that people who would have liked to come to Australia come to your conference in 2023 and plan well ahead because Singapore is but a hop, step and a jump from Australia. And you can get here easily on a direct flight. You can go to beautiful Queensland where the Barrier Reef is. You can go to Crocodile Dundee country in Darwin, or you can go to Perth, Western Australia. And these flights are only about four hours. So that's less than crossing the United States or crossing Europe. So um, we look forward to welcoming you after Singapore 2023. (laughs) <laughs> wow, <laughs> I think I would train our ambassadors all very well to give all these um, travel tra- <laughs> travel advertisements. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Singapore, Singapore is lovely, but after a few days, yours is a relatively small place and they might want to expand their horizons. Uh, speaking about COVID, um, there is one more thing I wanted to ask you about. In July 2020, you submitted a letter to the Dermatology Therapy about music therapy and reducing the burden of dermatological diseases. I've, I really enjoyed that letter. And uh, can you tell us more about how this letter came about? Yes. Um, you know, there's an interesting uh, doctor called Mohammed Goldust from Iran, and he's now working in Switzerland. And he put together um, some interesting teams of people to write articles together during COVID when I think some of the clinics were closed down. And I think it was his idea to gather papers and experiences together about this. And I know that some of the experts were a bit reluctant to join this team because they thought this topic was a little too far. Um, but I, I remembered patients in the hospital when they're say they can't communicate or they're cut off from other people for whatever reason, such as having an infectious disease, uh, that if you can hear music that means something to you, that your relatives can send to you, you might be terminally ill, it can make you calm down. And then interestingly, during the year after we'd published this paper, one of our palliative care specialists was giving medical grand rounds on that very topic of the terminally ill and how to take care of them and what the impact of COVID had had on them. And he also talked about the impact of music on calming people. Uh, So whilst I was feeling a little bit nervous about being part of a publication on this topic, I'm glad to see that someone has read it. (laughs) I'm a huge passion for music, so I I like seeing papers like that now and then. I remember hearing you entertain us at the dinner and closing dinner of the conference. I seem to remember that you were singing. Yes, yes, I was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you for joining me on this podcast now. And um, yes, good luck for the ICD. And I really hope to see you in Singapore in 2023. I'll be there. I look forward to seeing you again, Etienne. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Dede. Take care. Okay, bye. 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 And that was the official podcast of the WCD. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials on Facebook, Instagram at WCD2023 Singapore and check out our WCD website WCD2023Singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use sunblock.